0: You're listening to Trek FM. And a shot of Jack straight up.
1: Make that two shots on me.
0: Her shots on her. Thanks, but no thanks.
1: You at least want to know my name before you completely reject me.
0: I'm fine without it.
1: You are fine without it. It's Jim, Jim
0: Kirk. If you don't tell me your name, I'm going to have to make one up. It's Ahura. Uhura? No way. That's the name I was going to make up for you.
2: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jira, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have our crew members, Andy.
1: Hi, everyone.
2: And Sue. Hey there. And uh, before we get started on our topic today, uh, we just have wanted to remind you about our uh, Women at Warp Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash women at warp, you can help support our work. Uh, it helps us do things like pay for our, our website hosting and uh, to be able to spread the word via getting, you know, business cards printed and heading to conventions to do uh, convention reporting and things like that. Um, so again, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash women at work. Um, another housekeeping announcement is that if you have not yet joined our Goodreads book club, you can do that at Goodreads and just search Women at Warp in the groups. Uh, we have a new book that we've picked out that we will be doing an episode on uh, probably in February or March, uh, which is the book Mosaic by Jerry Taylor. It's basically a Captain Janeway origin story. You can join the discussion in advance of the episode on our Goodreads book club. Alright, so getting on to our main topic today, we are going to take a Star Trek over, around, through, alongside, and into the JJ-verse. Looking at the movie Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness. And then we're going to talk about the new trailer uh, for Star Trek Beyond that came out a couple of weeks back. So... We put out the call for your comments for what you thought of the movies on our Facebook page and Twitter um, and thought we might start off with a few of your observations. Sue, do you want to read the first one?
0: Sure. So our first comment is from Bill. Who says, as a fan since 1973, I have enjoyed these fun though flawed movies. They fit in just fine in an expandable universe which includes TV, movies, novels, comic books, and more. And I'm perplexed and saddened by the amount of vitriol they inspire in some fans. That said, I think they have only made baby steps in the treatment of women.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Bill.
1: So, Andy, do you want to read the next one? Okay. Uh Ramon's comment is... I call the reboots Hot Trek, or Sexy Star Trek. Hot people running around being hot and doing hot people things, like hooking up and being sassy, but in space. Oh, and blowing things up. So that pretty much sums up my clearly low opinion of them. That being said, I suppose an assessment of improving their treatment of women depends on the benchmark. Are we saying compared to TOS? I suppose, but is that saying much? Congratulations, alien females don't just look like green go-go dancers.
2: Awesome. And then um, I just excerpted this comment from Rick because I have to apparently make fun of Brennan Braga in every episode. Uh, Rick said, I have expected Mr. Braga to have a cameo and yell, they're sexy. They're all sexy in the future. No beautiful, normal women, just sexy, hot models for you to enjoy.
0: That sounds about right.
2: So that is some commentary on sort of overall how people felt, how some of our listeners felt about the JJ verse movies. Um, but how about we start off with Star Trek 2009, and I would love for you to both tell me about your initial impressions, like how, when did you first see this movie, and how did you feel the first time you saw it? So maybe start with Andy.
1: I actually saw it in 2009. So Star Trek 2009 is the first Star Trek I ever saw, and I remember- No, no, Sue. Come on. No, it was good. I actually really enjoyed it when I was in the theater. I was in the theater in downtown Chicago, and it was big, and things were exploding, and just in general, I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I... Almost started watching Star Trek after that. Um, I think I even went so far as to look it up on Netflix to see if I should watch it. And then for whatever reason, I just didn't move on, but I liked the characters and I thought it was a fun movie. Um, so it is a, actually a pretty decent introduction to Trek. But then when I started getting into my first time Trekking in 2013, uh, by then I had basically forgotten most of it. I remembered that I enjoyed it, but not much more than that. And then, you know, throughout 2013 through 2015 now, um, I've been, you know, doing this this watch of Star Trek. So when I went back to watch Star Trek 2009 after watching the original series and specifically the original series movies, I had a much different impression of it. Um, I actually think my enjoyment went down after that, maybe because the bar had been set higher for me by then. But my first impression was a positive one, a very positive one, actually. I was just going to say that, which is actually kind of probably what they were going for, right? They were trying to get non track people interested in Star Trek through this movie. And in that, I would say they probably succeeded pretty well because I had never seen a thing Star Trek. I didn't know anything about Star Trek, and I still was able to not only follow but enjoy the movie. So... That's says something I'd say. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, I'm sure this is something we're going to keep coming back to a bit. Um, the Subspace Transmissions podcast, when they reviewed this, they actually had, um, two real, like, Star Trek noobs on who were awesome and basically didn't know anything about Star Trek. They were like, oh, was that guy named Chekhov? And, um, the uh, woman who was on it really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it was really interesting listening to that perspective versus, some of us more seasoned Star Trek fans who have, uh, you know, definitely uh, more stuff to analyze in there. Um, but uh, maybe it was harder for us to, like, wholeheartedly enjoy it. Um, but how about you, Sue?
0: Ugh, I have so many comments to make about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I Did you see it when it first came out?
0: Yes, yes. I saw this, I think, opening weekend. I'm pretty positive I saw it opening weekend. But I do remember following the development of it, having already been a Star Trek fan when this was all happening, and, and reading the news and learning about what was going on. And I, th- I think I thought it was fine. You know, like, people keep saying, you hear it all over the fandom, that Star Trek belongs on TV, not in the movies. So already, I think, going into a new Star Trek movie, my expectations weren't super high. I was hoping for a lot of things that I didn't necessarily get, like expanded roles for Uhura and maybe Christine Chappell, who is still absent from the movies, and just Star Trek. And it's been said over and over again, you can say that I'm flinging vitriol, but this just didn't, it doesn't feel right for me. And I left, I'm pretty sure I left 2009, that movie, feeling Like it was fun. It's definitely a sci-fi film. It's definitely like an action-adventure film. But it doesn't say Star Trek to me. And when I watch it now, it even more doesn't say Star Trek to me. You know, every time... I, I hate to be that person. But every time I watch it, I find more things that just get on my nerves or rub me the wrong way. And I really do try and keep that attitude of maybe this is the gateway for people. Maybe people who don't know Star Trek are going to come into this and want to see more. But then with all of the differences that there are between this new universe and what I grew up with as Star Trek, I really wonder if people who really, really love these two movies will even like Star Trek as I know it, the TV Star Trek.
2: Yeah, I... Saw it in theaters as well when it first came out, and I had been—I hadn't been avidly watching Star Trek in the years leading up to that. Like, um, I—I I took a bit of a hiatus from, you know, my childhood rewatching or watching um, after Voyager ended, and I just occasionally watched Enterprise here and there, and then I started uh, rewatching TNG casually. Um so I remember I went with some board gaming friends who I would say were at the same level of Star Trek fandom as I was. Um and we all thought it was really fun. I remember I went to see it twice in the theater. Um but for me what I was mostly looking for in that movie the first time was I was worried that the characters would be uh that they wouldn't be able to capture the essence of the original characters and I think that they actually did that pretty well. Like I especially um I think that uh, Zachary Quinto um, as Spock and, Carl uh, Urban as McCoy, um, did a really good job, uh, capturing the essence of what made those characters great in the original series. But, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly upon rewatch, I would agree that I appreciate it slightly less. And, um, so neither of you have seen Star Wars, the new Star Wars, right? Yet?
0: Oh, I no. have not.
2: Okay. So I'm not going to spoil anything, but something I've heard from a lot of people coming out of that, and I would certainly, certainly agree, is, it makes these movies even more disappointing because it does truly, truly feel like a love letter to the Star Wars franchise from J.J. Abrams. And uh, the metaphor that uh, I heard was, it's like J.J. gave Star Wars fans steak and he gave Star Trek fans McRibs. It doesn't Oof. feel like he really, really loved Star Trek.
0: He straight up says that he doesn't like yeah, Star Trek. That. I'm not sure if it was after the first movie or the second movie. I don't remember. But he, yeah, he came straight out and he said he was not a fan of Star Trek. He was a fan of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And it was well known, if he wasn't already signed to direct the Episode 7, that he was going after it, Yeah, you know, in the Disney deal. So it was kind of a true joke, I guess, that... That Star Trek was his audition for Star Wars.
2: Yeah, I think that's super unfortunate. I mean, I'm not saying that he didn't do good things for the movie. I think that, um, you know, as much as his style is maligned in terms of the lens flares and things, he definitely did create a distinct visual style um, that... Lens flare! I, I don't think that, like, I think it's... You can't just reduce it to that. Um and, no, but it uh, yeah, and I is think he got some inducing. good performances uh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, but certainly it just—I feel like it lacks that heart of Star Trek, and maybe we can talk more about that once we've talked about both the movies.
1: So, regarding the whole JJ doesn't like Star Trek thing, yep, one of the funniest things John Stewart has ever done, and that is saying something, is <laughs> JJ abrams went on the daily show and told john stewart he didn't like star trek and then he was like explaining why he was talking and at the very end john stewart was like i'm sorry i stopped listening after you said you didn't like star trek and i assumed that everything else you were saying was just an apology (laughs) and it was amazing and um i love it and Bless John Stewart for saying what we were thinking. Yeah, that's something we've seen in the pr- production the whole
2: time is, you know, various people, JJ and Kurtzman and Orsi and uh, Simon Pegg, sort of in different ways distancing themselves from being like too Star Trekky. Um So as obviously fans who are, have seen nothing wrong with being too Star Trekky, um, it makes you feel, I don't know, a little bit like betrayed. <laughs>
0: I would admit that there's possibly some resentment <laughs> towards that in the way I watch these movies. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, I certainly will say that I thought it was fun. And, uh, I, I wanted to talk a bit about Uhura because she's basically the only woman in this movie. There's that we talked briefly about the Romulan martial arts person who basically got cut from the movie. Um, and then there's, uh, Uhura's Orion roommate. So weirdly and ironically enough, Star Trek 2009 is one of two Star Trek movies that passes the Bechdel test, and it's because Uhura talks to her lab partner/slash roommate while Kirk is under the bed watching Uhura get changed. They're both in their underwear. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he had been sleeping with the roommate. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, but uh, what did you guys think about the portrayal of Uhura in this film?
1: I like Zoe Saldana. I should say that. I think she's a good actress. I don't really get Uhura from her, to be honest. Yeah. She, she's just, for whatever reason, she kind of updated her to be more, I don't know, feisty, I guess, um, more snappy, which is fine, except for Uhura wasn't really. She was very gentle and.
0: I remember reading something from her that She did get to sit down and speak to Nichelle Nichols about the character of Uhura, but then she said, I wish I'd gotten a chance to do that sooner, because when that happened for her, she was essentially done. She only had a few more scenes to shoot, and she said that if she had had the chance to have that conversation sooner, she would have changed how she played the character.
1: Yeah, I mean, she she does a lot of, like, Mm eye-rolling and it's not even that I don't like the character. It's just that it doesn't—it doesn't feel like Uhura to me because Uhura to me was is always a really like calm and gentle presence, um, and dignified. And yeah, really like serene almost. And I the I, I just didn't. I don't know what to say more than that except for, I, it's not that I didn't like the character. And it's not that I didn't think she did a good job. It's just she didn't feel like Uhura to me.
0: I did like that she stood up for herself that she was not shy about her intelligence and her abilities
1: yeah i think that's the best update they did is they make it very clear that she is an extraordinary student and then you know moving on like she actually takes the place of a apparently seasoned communications officer because she's just simply better um and that's really cool
0: Yeah, which was great. I'm very conflicted about the whole Uhura-Spock relationship. Yeah. Um, I kind of love it in TOFs. I really think it's kind of fun that she's so into him. But to put that relationship front and center to make it more than just implied and in a lot of ways make it central to several scenes of these movies, no.
2: Yeah, I remember when I saw Star Trek 2009, I really liked that because, uh, well, she shuts down Kirk's hitting on her so impressively. Um, and I thought that was really fun and that it, you know, I was trying to put myself in the shoes of like a young adult or teenager watching this for the first time and seeing Star Trek and seeing that the woman doesn't necessarily go with, like, the protagonist, uh, who is, like, the most forward, but instead goes for someone who more, you know, is smart and respects her. Um, I, and I have mixed feelings because, you know, I've seen some people say they are object to the fact that that, that a lot of, like you said, her scenes are defined by her relationship with Spock. Um, And I think that's certainly a problem.
0: Well, also, she's having a relationship with her professor.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Because she's still a
2: cadet. And I've also seen people, like I had one person say, or this is actually a good thing because women of color don't usually get to, quote unquote, have it all. Like they don't usually get to in media um, or like in real life. um, They're not told like you can um, have this amazing job and have a relationship and um, so they said like that was something they always wanted to see for Uhura, that they felt like white women were more often able to uh, were more often depicted having that ability to have both a career and a relationship.
1: I like their chemistry and I even like their like relationship vibe, if you could put it that way. Mm-hmm. The problem I have with it is that they basically that's the, the arc they gave her. And the arc they gave her was basically to to make Spock seem more human and to get Spock to be yep. more emotional and to be like a mirror for Spock's emotions. That is so,
0: 200% accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah, it so that's my problem with it. Like I think it I think that they're make a good couple. I really do and I can see what would draw each other, but I need something other than that for her. I need her to be doing you know, I need her to have an arc of her own that's not based on this relationship with Spock.
2: Yeah, and we definitely don't get that. at least
1: one of the movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. We could still, but. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, there's there's numerous movies now. We're going to have a third. So, there's a lot to fit into these movies. A lot. I can understand if you don't have room for a really great arc for every single one of the characters in every movie, but I need her to have a good resonant arc for herself before this thing is over because she deserves it.
2: Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts about Star Trek 2009, um, such as how you feel the the Spock-Kirk bromance was portrayed?
1: I really... You know, my favorite thing about 2009 Mm -hmm. is the way they parallel Kirk and Spock. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. The way we get to see... Young Kirk and young Spock and both of them kind of rebelling in their different ways and kind of getting at why these two characters that see the world so differently might be drawn to each other and might work together so well. My favorite moment in 2009 is when Spock is talking to the, the Vulcan Academy people And they're like, welcome to the science academy. You're so lucky to be here despite, you know, your thing. He's like, what are you talking about? Well, you know, you're half human and you're human mother. And he's just like, ugh. And troll spot comes out. I always love it when troll spot comes out, but when the way he says live long and live long and prosper and then turns on his heel is my favorite moment from that movie. And I just like how it's paralleled with Kirk doing similar rebellious things but just in a totally different
0: form. I really like this Spock and I really like these choices that I'm not sure if it was uh, Quinto himself or or the direction in this case I would give props to JJ if it was him but I, I really like these choices to make this Spock embrace his his human side, his emotions a little bit mm-hmm. more. Um, he's much more sarcastic. you could even use the word sassy but it's it's kind of fun because he is still this logical trained controlled character but he he just like he's more in on the joke right yeah and it's just fun but still the best part of these movies both of them for me is Carl Urban yeah uh yeah <laughs> there is there is no doubt in my mind like you can just give he- me an hour and a half of bone snark and that will be the best new star trek movie he that they could just possibly make like- Every
1: time he's on screen, it's delightful. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the few of them to regularly
2: do Star Trek conventions. And he really does love Star Trek. And uh, he really took time to inhabit the character of Bones. He even uh, wore uh, like a ring like DeForest Kelly wore as Bones. It, he wears that in the movies. Um, and uh, I think that that really comes through.
1: Yes, I learned that fun fact from Diane Dwayne oh, right. who also who also really, really loves Carl Urban as McCoy. Like she she brought it up during our interview how much she thinks he he nails McCoy's voice and his cadence really, really well, and I have to agree. Right.
0: I also really like um Chekhov. Yeah. But not because he's like Walter Koenig, but just because he does so mm-hmm. well. He's he is definitely your comic relief character. He's a lot of fun. I like I I even like Simon Pegg as Scotty, Mm -hmm. right? And it it worries me a little bit that I like the side characters so much more than the main characters. Mm -hmm. So I actually don't
2: have a problem with Chris Pine as Kirk. I think he does a pretty good job, you know, capturing Kirk's, I guess, self-confidence and swagger without feeling like he's doing an impression of William Shatner. I think that the problem with Kirk is more about how he is really written as, I would say this Kirk is written as more of a womanizer than TOS Kirk. Um, You know, we talked in our Kirk love interests about how uh, being a womanizer uh is like, there's sort of an element of, I guess like skeeviness or deception or creepitude versus, or, and like valuing women purely for their role or first and foremost for their role as, potential sexual partners. Um and I think that in TOS uh we get just we see Kirk is or treating women with like a little bit more respect up front versus just like, hey, are you sexy? Awesome, you can be on my ship.
1: Yeah. Um I don't have a problem with Chris Pine's performance. Um there's even a handful of times when he'll do the Kirk smirk <laughs> is how I yeah. think of it. And I'm just like, dang, that was perfect. But I have a problem with the – the. I have a small problem, I should say, with the way they have written him to be way more brash mm-hmm. and way less thoughtful. Because when I started TOS, this is the only version of Kirk I had ever seen, and I was braced myself for like a really stereotypical hyper-masculine bro. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting not to like him as a character. And then it turns out that they actually give Kirk a lot of depth and a lot of thoughtfulness. Now, every once in a while, the the writing veers because, you know, we have inconsistent writing over three seasons. But overall, the core of that character, he's an explorer. And he is, you know, he's not somebody who just, you know, shoots first just for the heck of it. Which is, I feel... And I remember when I was and retweet- when I finally went back and live tweeted 2009, years later after i seen it the first time, I was like, is, there a- is this a character choice they made? Like, without his father and because he's younger, this is like a different version of Kirk, uh, a brasher version. Or did they just like have this idea of Kirk that's like this mythos that sprung up around him? that doesn't actually get borne out in the original series. I mean, think about some of the the moments in the motion picture where Kirk is like watching the Enterprise and he has all of these quiet moments. I can't picture this version of Kirk doing that. And I can't tell if it's because he's younger or if they just have written him to be different. I, I don't know. I feel like
2: they, I always interpreted it as they wrote him assuming he was like, what would Kirk be like when he was younger? Knowing, um, you know, that he rigged the Kobayashi Maru so that he could win a no win scenario and that it was really about, you know, youthful arrogance and Star Trek Into Darkness gets at that a lot more as like a, one of Kirk's character flaws, um, is that, uh, that sort of hubris he has um, that presumably by the time we got to like the TOS era of Kirk uh, would have been, you know, sort of tempered by experience. But that's giving them credit that maybe you're right. And maybe it was just like they myth- mis- misinterpreted the mythos of Kirk.
1: Right. I mean, that's what I was saying. Like, I can't tell really if it's a character, a significant conscious character choice. Like, what would Kirk be like if he had grown up without a father and was, you know, 15 years younger?
0: I think if that had been part of it, if it had been This Is Kirk without male influence, you know, that without a father figure, I feel like it would have been mentioned more.
2: Doesn't he have like a bad stepfather figure?
0: Yeah, he he steals the car and is, you're under my house, whatever. yeah. But like that's it, and then it's gone, and it's not really mentioned again. I think that there's just for people who are not Star Trek fans, there's this idea of who Captain Kirk is, as that you know womanizer. Shoot for ass questions later, but when you watch TOS, that's not who Kirk is. Kirk is a lot more intelligent and thoughtful than you know the the mythos surrounding Star Trek for non fans would have you believe. And these movies tell you how intelligent Kirk is, but they don't show it to you, right? It's TOS and even the original six movies that show you how intelligent and thoughtful he is.
1: Yeah, and uh, this is where uh, I want to talk a little bit about the pacing. We have a lot of, I would say, extraneous action sequences, especially in the middle, Um we have, like, I don't know, a Yeti. I don't even know what that would be, like, Space Yeti chasing Kirk. We have Scotty getting t- trapped in the water tubes. Like, this is unnecessary filler to me. I would have much rather taken, you know, an extra 20 minutes at the beginning and actually explored Kirk's childhood more so we could get a better sense of who he was as a person before we get to him reacting in this crisis. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, before we
2: move on to Star Trek Into Darkness, do you have any other final thoughts about Star Trek 2009?
1: Spock forever? I don't know. I love it when he does, when the first time Zachary Quinto does the eyebrow raise. Yeah. I'm just like, yes. He does it so perfectly. I love Zachary Quinto.
2: I was in airport security at Dallas once, and uh, the woman uh, who was uh, one of the security officers, I guess TSA agents, saw my uh, Vulcan tattoo, and she asked what it was, and I, I told her, and she goes, oh, isn't that fun? You must like the original series. Have you seen the movies? What do you think of that Zachary Quinto? I just love him. I was like, this is my best airport security experience ever.
1: (laughs) I just just adore Zachary Quinto in general, and I think he makes such a lovely Spock. Especially, the other thing I want to say before we move on is seeing Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quinto together was lovely. Mm -hmm. And their scene together is lovely. Yeah, agreed. I, uh, and I mean, like, their other sort of
2: friendship things that they did before, uh, Leonard Newway anyway passed away were really sweet.
1: Yeah, um, it was pretty cool to see, uh, those. I feel like it felt like they actually bonded as people, which I think is, is quite nice. Yeah, absolutely. My, uh, one of my final thoughts about Star
2: Hunter 2009, and this isn't particularly to do with women particularly, but, I was so annoyed by what, by what I felt was really cringeworthy and obvious product placement. Um, there's the uh, Nokia thing on the phone or like music thing uh-huh. in the car. Um, and then what annoys me even more is when Uhura is in the cadet bar ordering Budweiser's. And I'm like, no uh-huh. one's going to drink Budweiser's in the future. This is a utopia. So, <laughs> saying.
0: Jer is a beer snob. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) My final thought on Star Trek 2009 is something I'm sure we're going to talk more about, and that is that none of the women have ranks. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Uh, uh (laughs) These uniforms are completely without any kind of rank insignia.
1: I'll be the first to admit I did not notice, but once it was pointed out to me, that's just uh, seems like a really strange omission.
0: I mean, I have no problem with short sleeves. I prefer them personally, but I would also like if I'm a lieutenant, I want you to know that I'm a lieutenant.
2: Yeah, a lot of people uh, with military background pointed out that in a crisis, that would actually be really dangerous because if the you know men at the top of the command structure died then how would you immediately like you need to immediately recognize the highest ranking person in a room and uh if the women don't have ranks on their uniforms that's actually a really serious problem that could cause chaos in a crisis
0: well obviously the woman is not going to be the highest ranking person in the room (sighs) Uh,
2: i know i know (laughs) yes nor will there be any gay
1: characters Which is everybody is straight in the future. So,
2: yeah, I mean, this is sort of I mean, this is kind of connected to both the movies. But when it was announced they were doing Star Trek 2009, there were a lot of fans who were saying like, hey, yay, we can finally get an openly gay character. And uh, Rod Roddenberry was basically like, well, this is the future. We aren't going to have people waving pride flags like it'll just be equal. So we don't need this.
1: Well, if that was true, then we should have seen two dudes making out in their underwear. Exactly. I don't know. It's just really even more glaring to me because first of all, we're being left behind by other franchises in sci-fi. Big time. Second of all, I I mean, (sighs) Kirk and Spock have such a, such a huge place in like the LGBTQ community. They are like the granddaddies of slash shipping. Mm -hmm.
0: They are, Pretty much the foundation of slash shipping.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's, it's and I mean, they are, there was slash fan fiction in magazines in the late 60s, early 70s because of Kirk and Spock, and we still can't get a canon gay character on screen, please. Yep. Totally bogus. The best part about that Kirk Spock thing is I actually was doing a little bit of research into it because shipping and, and fan fiction and all of that is really super interesting to me. Um and it looks as if Leonard Nimoy never really openly talked about it, but William Shatner was much more nudge, nudge, wink, wink about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is a lot of ways that you can take Kirk and Spock's relationship, but it was definitely very special for the gay community because if they wanted to, they could portray them in their minds as gay characters. Mm -hmm. And, that meant a lot at that time when you you had no representation. Now that we've actually gotten to the point where we should be able to see some representation without a huge backlash, it feels like a huge missed opportunity, especially with how important this franchise has been to these fans. Word.
0: And to be honest, we've been, we talked about it a little bit when we talked about uh, on the T'Pol episode, Fusion and Stigma, that Star Trek has actually been kind of behind the times Since at least Enterprise, Mm -hmm. if not even some later seasons of Voyager, yeah, which is just disappointing.
1: They are really good at allegory. They are really good at taking like parallels and doing what ifs. But at that at this point, like that's not enough.
2: Yeah, totally agreed.
1: All right, so let's move on to Star Trek Into Darkness.
2: Uh, yeah, let's go with Sue's first impression, unless you already just
1: expressed it. <laughs> Sue's first impression is just a wordless, disgruntled <laughs> groan.
0: That was pretty much it.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I will say that I did not like it. Okay. Maybe not. I Maybe I didn't dislike it as much as Sue, but...
0: How do you take the best Star Trek movie and turn it into the worst Star Trek movie?
1: Yeah, this is the thing. I'll tell you how.
0: You cast (sighs) a blue-eyed, white Englishman as Khan, and you let J.J. Abrams, a non-Star Trek fan, direct it. And you
2: (laughs) let people who hate Star Trek and Star Trek fans write it.
1: Yeah. All the way up until the last, I don't know, half hour of that movie, I was like, okay, this isn't great. The pacing is off. A lot of the character moments are off. The plot doesn't make very much sense. It's super obvious who the villain is. Like, these are all things that I'm thinking. But I didn't hate it, Uh you know? I was just, like, kind of coasting along. And then I was like, wait a second. And I'll never forget the moment that I realized that they were redoing the end of Wrath of Khan. And I kid you not, I stood up. Off my couch and like just screamed no to the heavens. It was just and and then watching the rest of it was like ro- watching like a slow motion train wreck, and I like, ah. I had literally watched Wrath of Khan maybe a week or two earlier, so my emotional reaction to Wrath of Khan was still very much with me, and after Wrath of Khan I literally curled up into a ball and, like, sobbed like a little girl. Like, it meant so much to me. And this was two weeks, you know? Like, h- how much more does that scene mean to people who have been holding it in their hearts for decades? And then I almost see how it could have worked, especially I-, I think it's kind of clever that they flip Kirk and Spock. I almost see it. But the execution just felt so soulless it just felt so manipulative and so like oh here we'll put this in and all the star trek fans will be interested in that but they didn't actually like make it feel like anything and i especially hate that they made zachary quinto recreate you know william shatner's famous con moment Mm -hmm. because first of all don't make zachary quinto try and be william shatner don't try and make anybody try and be william shatner he is a very unique actor second of all that's not what spock would do that's not how spock would would react to extreme grief i mean we even saw that in the first film Mm -hmm. he got cold yeah that is what spock does when he is overwhelmed with emotion he shuts down and zachary quinto is a skilled as hell actor he could have played that so beautifully and instead, they were like, "Let's go with this cheap throwback and la- lazy." It just feels lazy. And then that's when I was like, "Nope, I, I, this, this movie is a train wreck." And um, I get more angry every time I think about it. I feel
2: like when I first saw it, I didn't mind that part so much, except for then I was like, "Why isn't the movie over?" Like I felt like the whole movie just felt kind of a little incoherent, and that then the end was kind of anticlimactic. Uh, I was like, okay, I was ready for that to be over, but it's still going. And I think that a lot of the problems you could foresee as soon as the marketing started, they had this whole thing that like, oh, he's definitely not Khan. Benedict Cumberbatch is in it, but he's definitely not Khan. He's John Harrison. i like, they could have just left him as John Harrison.
0: I would have hated it less.
2: yeah. <laughs> Um, but like what what was the message of this movie? Like I still don't hundred percent know what the message of this movie was.
0: Okay, so I believe it or not, I rewatched this last night. Okay. Somewhat voluntarily. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the there whole thing There was peer pressure, this- but we didn't like handcuff you to the couch or anything. Right,
0: right. The the theme that I think that they're they're getting at, right, or trying to get at, is sacrifice. Right. Because that's that whole like volcano thing and like sacrificing yourself for others. The needs of the the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few. I think I got that backwards. But OK, if the consequences stick. Mm-hmm. Right. If Kirk sacrifices himself... If, if these characters keep trying to sacrifice themselves for the good of the crew, for the good of the universe, whatever, if Kirk does it, he is immediately brought back to life by super blood. Yeah,
1: tribble, right? I, power tribble, con, I con tribble. I believe I described it as five minutes and a magic tribble.
0: <laughs> but part of the impact of Wrath of Khan is that, as far as you know, Spock's dead.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, by the end of this movie, Kirk's alive again. No big Mm -hmm. deal. Doesn't matter. Like, there have to be consequences if there is a sacrifice. This is, I I get worked up about this and the whole showrunner slash producer lying thing. Yeah. Lying about who's playing who, because it happens in Doctor Who, too, all the time. (laughs) Yes. And I I am starting to get really, really angry about it. Don't lie to me.
2: Yeah, like, just say
0: we aren't telling. (laughs) Yeah, just say I'm not going to tell you. Don't. Don't make things not have consequences, because they lose their meaning when they don't have consequences. Yeah, I'll give up my life for you, but I'll be alive five seconds later, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's really frustrating, and it loses so much of what it could mean, because it's just a throwaway.
2: Yeah. I mean, another thing I thought I felt like felt really forced in this was the Leonard Nimoy cameo. Like, you talked about the one in the first movie, which I think worked really well. I think in this movie it was like, whoa, you can just phone up old Spock and ask him to explain all the things you're going to face, and he doesn't have any ethical concerns about that and, like, timelines well, and Well, he shit. promised
0: himself he wouldn't tell them, but yeah. then he tells them.
2: <laughs> yeah, he tells them, pre- and, like, literally they can just phone him up. Like, it's... It felt so like Deus Ex Leonard Nimoy and in a way that like didn't feel true to Spock as a character, um, or a
1: good use of Leonard Nimoy as an actor.
2: So I was not really a fan of that.
1: There are a lot of shortcuts in this movie. You've got your magic tribble. You've got Spock on speed dial. You've apparently got some sort of technology that can warp you to Klingon space without any star travel.
0: Right, and they try and make it seem like that's the same equation that Spock gives Scotty in the first movie, but that was for beaming somebody onto a ship that was in warp, not for beaming across star systems.
1: Without a any sort of, like, he didn't even have,
0: like, a capsule. Yeah. Right, so the fake technology doesn't even make sense movie to movie.
2: <laughs> it kind of reminded me of in Galaxy Quest, when they go in those goo pods and get shot into space. Except for that was cooler. Yes. Um, I did, however, uh, I did think it was kind of cool. The whole Enterprise going underwater and the uh, like wetsuits they no! have. I like so it. i angry at you. I, um, know the science. <laughs> I mean, I just was like, that looks cool. However, I mean, and I think the visuals in the opening scenes are outstanding as much as I think it is horribly problematic to be like, hey, let's go screw up an indigenous culture. And then I'll just be like, phew, we got a way close
1: on that one. Yeah,
0: yeah. They just, in in 2009, they show the Enterprise being built presumably on Earth, yeah. right? Because that's where they start. And then it's in space, and then it's underwater? <laughs> it's, it's not possible. I'm really trying not to yell because it's late <laughs> and I have neighbors. <laughs>
2: that's okay. Sometimes people say we agree too much, so yay, we disagree. <laughs> oh, I hate it. I'm totally down with the wetsuits. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, in this, we still do not have, uh, rank stripes. Another. Uh, so let's go back to the whole Uhura Spock thing because in this movie uh, we get a little bit more of that and we have a comment from listener Martina from Facebook and she says I appreciate the fact that Reboot Uhura manages to be both tough and feminine at the same time and is portrayed as being fluent in Klingon and several other languages instead of needing a dictionary to put together a few pathetically broken sentences but the love story with Spock while it didn't come as a shock to me or strike me as wrong was a risky move it could end up diminishing her, if they don't write her as 200% professional. The fact that she literally interrupted the captain in the middle of a mission to ask for two seconds to finish discussing their situation, for example, could be seen as a sign that, as a quote-unquote frail woman, she is unable to keep her personal life separate from her duty. So, um, I guess you know, Martina I'm assuming is referring to the scene where they're going down to the planet and Uhura is basically fighting with Spock about their relationship in the middle of an intense away mission.
1: And is like very upset about it. So, what did you guys think about? Well, I was also very upset about it. I was like, really, really. Now is the time. Now is the time that you want to have like right. a big relationship moment. It, it, um, but
0: then also, Kirk is like super into knowing what's going on, like eavesdropping. <clears throat> Even previously, when he's in the the turbo lift with the horror, he's like, "Wait, are you two fighting? Yeah, tell me all about it." Like, he's a huge gossip. <laughs>
2: I took it that he was still, like, he wanted to be the bigger, or, like, more manly than Spock, so he was sort of, it was, like, schadenfreude, like, Uhura rejected me for Spock, so I'm happy that they're fighting.
0: But that whole scene, the whole reason for that fight, right, she's like, you don't care, and what would that have done to me, and, uh, and his reaction is not, it's not that I don't care, it's that I care too much. (laughs) It's just, really, Uh. really, Yet again,
1: something that I think could have worked with better writing and better execution. Like you can almost kind of like the sh- see it on the horizon. For instance, in the first movie, they have a lovely moment in the, the lift where she's like, what do you mm-hmm. need? And she comforts him, but just enough. And then when he kind of pushes her away, she seems to accept that. Like she's like, this is Spock. This is the man I love. This is how he reacts to to extreme emotion. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm going to do what he needs. Mm-hmm. And then you have this flipped in this where she's, it's all about why aren't you, basically why aren't you acting like a human would? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like why aren't you reacting like a normal human boyfriend? Why are you being all vulcany As if she hasn't been in a relationship with this man and known what he's like for years now.
0: And I think what he says in that situation is really powerful. That, you know, I don't want to feel this again, so I want to shut down. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily have to be said to a girlfriend. Like, Kirk could have confronted him about wanting not wanting to come up from the volcano. And he could have said that to Kirk, because they are have a very close friendship. Like, it's not necessary for it to be, you know, a relationship fight.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. Any other thoughts about Uhura in this movie? And she gets to kick some butt at it's kind of near the end of the movie, um, but I still felt like she was a bit underused.
1: It really bothered me that when she went to, to to speak Klingon, they let her speak Klingon and then basically fail. Yeah, I mean, like I wanted, I wanted her to have this moment where she actually she used her skills and she got them out of like a tough mm-hmm. jam. And instead, they're like, "Here's Uhura. She's speaking Klingon. That's awesome. You know, what's even more awesome?" Benedict Cumberbatch coming out of nowhere and blasting 20 Klingons in one epic action move. And I was just like, no, they undercut that moment so hard.
2: Yeah, that is very true. Sad face. And when she
1: beams down at the end, she's mostly just shooting a phaser, Mm -hmm. isn't she?
2: It's been a while since I watched it. I thought I remembered her kicking and stuff, but I would say she's assisting. She's not the primary person in the fight.
0: Yeah. I just feel like if you were to show this movie to somebody who doesn't know Star Trek and you said afterwards, like, tell me about who who Uhura is, who is Uhura, the answer would be Spock's girlfriend and not Mm -hmm. the communications officer. Yeah. And I feel like those two descriptions should be reversed. She's the communications officer first. She can be Spock's girlfriend second.
2: So how do you think people would respond if you said, describe who Carol Marcus is after seeing this movie?
1: Uh, she looks nice in her bra. (laughs)
0: eye candy (laughs) that's who she is yeah it's so disappointing so disappointing
2: for sure so i mean obviously the whole carol marcus bra thing was the probably the most controversial thing about star trek into darkness at least that i saw there was a lot of people upset about it this was one of the other issues i had in the marketing because that bra shot was in all of the trailers even though it didn't explain itself at all it was like very clearly just saying like Straight guys, come see this movie because there's a lady with her bra in it.
1: There are boobs. Yeah. We are pro-boob here. I want to make sure that's clear. Boobs are awesome. But there has to be a reason. Yeah, there has to be a
2: reason to show it. And that this is supposed to be one of your... It's one of your two women characters that is really you know has any role in the plot whatsoever um don't reduce her function to her boobs you know and i think that the problem actually starts from literally her very first scene she gives kirk her credentials which are super impressive spock is like you requested an additional science officer he's all like defensive kind of and kirk reads it and says you know doctor of applied physics specializing in advanced weaponry and the Spock goes impressive credentials but redundant now that i'm back aboard the enterprise and then kirk basically is like wink wink nudge nudge uh, like she's super hot let her on the ship like he he says and yet the more the merrier like clearly that is what is happening is spock says i can do all this shit myself you don't actually need her but kirk is like oh whatever she's hot So right right away, like, her importance and her awesome credentials are, like, totally undermined by us being told she isn't needed on this mission.
0: And that happens more than once. Yes. The other
1: thing is that her being, uh, what is it? Admiral Marcus? daughter yeah being admiral marcus's daughter adds an extra layer of her being defined by her male relationships mm-hmm. and so at one point she's emotional blackmail at another point she's a damsel you know like i want to see your science more it was pretty cool that she you know like disarmed a huge missile that was awesome like i want to see more of that I love that she's sciencing. I also love that McCoy is uh, fruitlessly hitting on her because it's one of my favorite weird things about McCoy. That whenever he tries to hit on someone, he gets super creepy.
2: Nick starts talking about his hands. The arguments that J.J. type and uh, Damon Lindelof and other folks from the movie put out as to why the bra scene was okay was that well it's okay because we see kirk with his shirt off in bed with ladies at the beginning so like we're seeing kirk partly naked and we also filmed this benedict Cumberbatch shower scene but it didn't end up in the movie
1: okay but no because kirk and khan both have other things that they do they're not just being reduced to eye candy Yeah, I mean,
2: I think it's also important to note that, like, our society attaches really different baggage to male versus female sexuality. Kirk would totally be bragging, like, hey, I slept with twin cat girls. Whereas, like, Carol Marcus said, hey, don't watch me change. And then he watches her change. You know, so basically society says, like, guys who um, are sexually promiscuous are studs and women are sluts. And so I'm not saying that, like you know, we should have prudish women characters to play into that. But you need to show that like women having sexual empowerment is a positive and okay thing. And she is not empowered at all in that scene.
0: No, and he's clearly not respecting her. No, She says, don't look. And he turns around. And it's not like, you know, you have those times where you just turn to talk to somebody and it doesn't even cross your mind. And he doesn't, you know, turn back and say, I'm sorry. He just keeps watching. Mm -hmm. And they have her standing there basically posing for him and saying, don't watch, like, it's supposed to be flirty, Mm -hmm. but it's just really uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, like, I mean, this still would have been semi-problematic, but even just like a super small tweak that would have put her in more of a position of power is she could have just straight up started changing right in front of him just to, like, make him uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, I'm not saying that would have been totally unproblematic, uh, but that would have at least shown that, like, she was in control of the situation, and you know, didn't feel violated in any way.
0: The other response I've heard to this from some fans is, "Well, it's not a problem because you know he Kirk has a son with her in in the other timeline." I'm like, what? But that's not this timeline. No. That's not these characters. I just, I don't understand that defense at all. I
2: know, and I'm actually kind of disappointed that she's not coming back for the next movie because I feel like they owed that character a bit more. You know, she does have these incredible qualifications in the, you know, the Prime universe. She builds the Genesis device, and it would have been cool to see her do something incredible on that scale. Yeah, no, no, no qualms with the boobs, um, on, as a thing on their own. Just, you need to have a reason. And you can't make that the only thing that one of your main char- women characters do. Totally. Yeah. Um, so we have Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan. This was obviously like a big controversy, not just about like people lying about it, but then this whole um, issue of you whitewash this character. I mean, of course, Ricardo Montalban was also not South Asian and Khan is supposed to be, I believe, from India or of Indian descent. But... Uh, In this day and age, there is a lot more like public discussion and awareness of the fact that, you know, casting white people as people of color is maybe not necessarily a cool thing. But uh, we also I mean, we do need to see people of color in all kinds of roles. And Khan is like one of the most, maybe the most epic Star Trek villain of all time. So possibly it could have possibly been very cool. And certainly. There are a lot of actors to choose from and many people put together lists because there was an argument that like, well, we just picked the best person for the job and like we could only find talented white actors was basically
0: the argument. (laughs) The thing about the character of Khan is that he is created, right? Genetically engineered as the best. He is the smartest and the strongest and the most charming. And, you know, in the 1960s, even today, a minority. Mm-hmm. And before he even becomes a villain, when he's on the episode of TOS, before we know of his intentions, he is being described as this supreme human, this ultimate goal that people wanted to achieve with this genetic engineering, and he's not white.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's huge. Yeah. And then you're casting. I mean. Really, no disrespect to Benedict Cumberbatch, but you're casting a pasty British man as this.
2: Um, So the one other thing I feel like we have to talk about in this movie before we move on to the new trailer and then wrap things up is um, this whole depiction of women in Starfleet Command, because we get a bunch of scenes uh, and shots of Starfleet headquarters and there's really not a lot of women so there's you know a big boardroom scene where there's you know a big room full of people and i think women make up about a third of the people at the table but like none of them get to talk you only really see the fact that there are a third in this like super super quick flash shot of the entire room and then when it's you know moving around to shots of people's faces you know none of them really even have interesting reactions or anything Um, And there's a smaller meeting scene, kind of, it feels like it's, like, in a hallway. And there's a table with about, like, ten people at it. And one of them is a woman, and the only time you see that is, like, they all stand up, and you see the woman's back as she's leaving the room. So it, it kind of implies that, like, you get all the most important people in the Federation together, and there's, like, not even close to gender equality.
0: And there's no reason not to have more of them. Yeah. They have so many opportunities, even when um, Spock is reassigned. Mm-hmm. That character is a black man, which is great. He's not white, the new captain. But why not a black woman? Mm-hmm. You know, you there were so many opportunities. All these extra admirals and captains who are talking in this meeting. Why do they all have to be men? Yeah,
2: like the Gina Davis Institute put out a thing. And they said that ba- one of the number one things that you can do is when you're writing a script and you say, you know, a crowd of people assembles, write in your script half of whom are women, and that it might seem like that that would just happen naturally, but it just doesn't. And, you know, so they actually wrote um, a very positive response to the new Star Wars because that actually happens. And like every background scene has a really strong number of women in it. But... Do we think it's going to get better in the new movie? So the new trailer just uh, dropped. I guess it'll be a few weeks ago once this episode comes out. Uh, This is the very action-packed Beastie Boys accompanied trailer. Um, So what did you guys think about that? Let's maybe start with
0: Sue. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) My first reaction to it was that I didn't want to watch it, to be honest with you. I. And when I did it was kind of a sigh and an eye roll. Like, I guess I didn't really expect anything different. Because it's just loud music and action and explosions. And, okay, great, that sounds like a summer blockbuster, but it doesn't sound like a Star Trek movie. And I know a lot of people feel differently, and I know it's just a trailer, so I'm trying to be positive. And the thing that has actually given me... The, the most hope since watching it is actually a clip of Simon Pegg. And it might've even been at the star Wars premiere where he's talking about the trailer and says that it doesn't represent what they did for the movie. um, And he doesn't say the words, but it almost feels like he wants to apologize for the trailer. So seeing that reaction to it, seeing that, you know, one of the writers was also not pleased with the trailer. Made me feel a little bit better. And I mean, just to be clear, technically,
2: this third movie is debatably, we can't really call it the JJ verse anymore, because JJ has gone on to Star Wars. So we have uh, Simon Pegg as the writer, and, and we have Justin Lin as the director, who, of course, is most well known for Fast and Furious. But I have been told by people on my Tumblr on Trekkie Feminist uh, to give him a chance because he has shown in previous work to be particularly sensitive to racial depictions. So I am trying not to be like, oh, it's the Fast and Furious guy. So not thinking that right away, but certainly it felt like they were marketing this as Fast and Furious in space. What did you think, Andy?
1: I mean, it's not like it's a bad trailer. It's just, it feels very generic. I, I mean, I don't really feel anything special from it. Anything that really says, this is a Star Trek movie for me.
2: Yeah, so we had a, a comment from Michelle on the trailer, um, who said maybe Sophia Butella's alien character, and that's the uh, the woman who's, you know, she's very, like, white skin, white hair with, like, sort of strange markings on her face, looks kind of Star Warsy. y um, She says, maybe Sophia Butella's alien character will get to have a conversation with Uhura about something that's not a male character. That's as high as I'm setting my hopes, really. That character may be an awesome fighter, but that doesn't make a good female character um so i th- yeah i mean i don't think we could tell a whole lot about her from the trailer um i'm maintaining cautious optimism generally uh one thing we could tell and we knew this uh from some pictures from the, the thing is that they have finally given the women sleeves so that they can have rank braids and some of them have pants now too it appears so uh that's kind of cool
0: I've never had a, problem a great option with the skirt. But I just want to make it clear that the mini skirts are not the problem. No, yes. no,
2: absolutely. <laughs> um, but I, I have like the TOS mini dress. Um, but I've always been a fan of functional uniforms. It, like that you should have a uniform that fits the situation you're in. So if you're going down on an away mission, it probably makes sense for you to have pants. Um, especially if you're going to be like running and doing stunts and things like that. So, um, for me, it's more about like you shouldn't, actually make the situation more dangerous for your women characters by like forcing them to go everywhere in miniskirts.
1: Good point. Yeah. I was just going to say that I have read some analysis of what the executives here, not the creators, not the, you know, the suits, what the suits want is they want a Marvel movie mm-hmm. and they want a Marvel franchise. And then yeah. when well, who doesn't? Well, so in that vein, you have a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy getting a lot of attention from them. They're like, cool, we should replicate this. And I feel like that that's what they're trying to portray with this trailer. Just like, hey, if you liked this awesome movie that made a ton of money, come see our movie and give us your money. You know, it feels very suitsy. Yeah, I feel like they
2: mashed up the marketing of Guardians of the Galaxy and Star Wars. But I I like, wanted to just circle around to this idea that, you know, we've all said a few times is like, this doesn't feel like Star Trek to us. So what is it about it that is not Star Trek and what would make it like Star Trek?
1: Now, what Star Trek means for me in general is space politics and exploration and new species and final frontiers, that kind of thing. Where the emphasis is not on action, the emphasis is on learning more about the galaxy and about humanity. Cisco says it really well when he calls them explorers, not just of, you know, planets, but of humanity.
0: That idea is
1: Star Trek to me. Um, What about you, Sue? What do you think?
0: I mean, I think that is pretty accurate. Star Trek, for me, is at its best when it makes us look at something in a different way. You know, I think it was talked about a lot in uh, the Guinan episode that you guys did recently. Like, the scene that exemplifies Star Trek is that scene in A Measure of a Man. Mm-hmm. Really, is the episode A Measure of a Man, but specifically the scene between Guinan and Picard, right? It's, you're in the situation, look at it this way, or what if we change it and do this to it? And it makes you think. You know, Star Trek, I think people often put it down as trying to be too intelligent and i don't see that as a put down at all i want my science fiction to make me think and to make me question things
2: yeah i agree um but i think the other thing that was lacking particularly in into darkness is the vision of a better future and how if we come together we can overcome the problems and the differences that we have today and uh, you know become better together and I think that that is like both of those things are part of the reason that Star Trek has maintained such an enduring following for so long even without having a regular series on the air and I think that was lost with the the fact the whole like JJ not loving Star Trek and the suits feeling like the way to financial success is to emulate these other franchises rather than embracing the strengths of star trek word
0: but those strengths that the strengths of star trek don't do well as movies they don't because movies are meant at least the way i see it these the really successful star wars movies the really successful action movies the franchises that are making tons at the theaters are those action-packed romps and that's not necessarily what star trek is i mean i know we're getting a series next year but Star Trek for me will always belong on television and I think that's where it does its best and I think that's where it has the opportunity and the time because you have so much more time in a series to really explore those issues and and building that future that we want to work towards.
2: I'm not totally willing to say that you couldn't make it work as a movie. I don't think that's what you're saying either, but...
0: It's not going to be that kind of financially successful. Possibly I'm not not. not saying you're not going to get a good movie, but if you want to have the kind of success you have with Guardians of the Galaxy or The Force Awakens, I really don't think you're going to get that from Star Trek because that's not what Star Trek is.
2: Thanks so much for joining us today to talk about the JJ-verse. This is just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek FM network recently, so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.fm Standard Orbit.
0: Usually Mike and I are like, mm, what's going on? Our okay. heads are
1: just spinning like, what? I don't understand what's going on, you know? And like, you know, when I listen to that, I'm like, are we like, you know, bad? <laughs> the Orb. He requests, you know, a an officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose, you know, he understands. You make this their own. I thought he did it
2: on purpose. I could see him like accidentally
1: requesting a Batoran officer. (laughs) Oh man, I I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. (laughs) The ready room.
2: Actually, I think at this point, Vulcan Love Slave was probably just a short story, right? It hadn't been turned into a full <laughs> That's right. It's not a full-blown
1: novel, novel at that point. Yeah. It's yeah. just fanfic. It's just
2: fanfic. Yeah, it's just fanfic. So. Right.
1: <laughs>
2: just on the internet. People started writing after first contact there in Montana.
1: <laughs> to the journey!
2: It's a very much the genesis of Seven of Nine. Genesis?
1: Genesis? Genesis allowed us not. Sorry
2: commentary Trek stars
1: so we're closing in on the World Series is what you're saying yeah yeah the Sox
2: were able to win the World Series in, you know 12 games so we're no White Sox but we're like the Cubs or
1: something (laughs) oh no wait they didn't win the World Series (laughs) never mind never mind the 602 Club to speak back to the lightsaber overall I mean it was practical reasons that they switched it to green but I've always loved the fact that that Luke had that green saber even when I was a kid like it's really cool it's an immediate visual signal you know even outside of the outfit that he's wearing that he's he's a different kind of person than even we saw in the previous film and I just I really like that. Literary Treks. The pinnacle of episode that we've ever done on that was probably when we had Tristan from To The Journey on to talk about some Voyager comics and (laughs) We ended up, that show was named Two Box Remedial School for Badasses or something of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, these old comics can just be very, very fun. Meta Treks. I looked it up in Ornare is the Latin word for to
2: adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up Brecca. And it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside.
0: And that, listeners, is something
2: you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology.
0: (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
2: We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's patreo ncom slash trekfm. So if you would like to contact Women at Warp, you can do that by emailing crew at women at warp.com or you can visit our website women at warp.com or you can... Post on Twitter, at Women at Warp, or on our Facebook page, at Women at Warp. Um, another thing you can do, which is super helpful, is to hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Um, it's a, a good way for us to get feedback on how we're doing, and it really does help um, other people discover our podcast through iTunes. So uh, thanks again. Um, Andy, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Easiest place is my Twitter, uh, at First Time Trek. Um, I'm currently
0: on DS9, um, which I am enjoying immensely.
2: And how about you, Sue? Where can people find you?
0: You can find me um, doing more podcasts and writing some blogs over at anomalypodcast.com.
2: And I'm Jara, and you can find me at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com or on Twitter at Penguin. Thanks a lot for listening.